Travels in the Air, Chapter 3, Ascents from Wolverhampton, September 5, 1862, by James Glacier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to learn how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. September 5th, 1862. This ascent had been delayed owing to the unfavorable state of the weather. We left the earth at one hour three minutes p.m. The temperature of the air was 59 degrees and that of the dew point 50 degrees. The air at first was misty. At the height of 5,000 feet, the temperature was 41 degrees, dew point 37.9. At 1 hour 13 minutes, we entered a dense cloud of about 1,100 feet in thickness, where the temperature fell to 36.5 degrees, the dew point being the same, thus indicating that the air here was saturated with moisture. At this elevation, the report of a gun was heard. Momentarily, the clouds became lighter, and on emerging from them at one hour seventeen minutes, a flood of strong sunlight burst upon us with a beautiful blue sky without a cloud, and beneath us lay a magnificent sea of clouds, its surface varied with endless hills, hillocks and mountain chains, and with many snow-white tufts rising from it. I here attempted to take a view with the camera, but we were rising with too great rapidity and revolving too quickly to enable me to succeed. The brightness of the clouds, however, was so great that I should have needed but a momentary exposure. Dr. Hill Norris, having kindly furnished me with extremely sensitive dry plates for the purpose. We reached the height of two miles at one hour, twenty-two minutes, where the sky was of a darker blue, and from whence the earth was visible in occasional patches beneath the clouds. The temperature had fallen to the freezing point and the dew point to twenty-six degrees. The height of three miles was attained at one hour twenty-eight minutes, with a temperature of eighteen degrees, and dew point thirteen degrees. From one hour twenty-two minutes to one hour thirty minutes, the wet bulb thermometer read incorrectly, the ice not being properly formed on it. At one hour thirty-four minutes, Mr. Coxwell was panting for breath. At one hour thirty-eight minutes, the mercury of Danielle's hygrometer fell below the limits of the scale. We reached the elevation of four miles at one hour forty minutes. The temperature was eight degrees, the dew point minus fifteen degrees, or forty-seven degrees below the freezing point of water. Discharging sand we in ten minutes attained the altitude of five miles and the temperature had passed below zero and then read minus two point zero degrees at this point 
no dew was observed on Regnault's hygrometer when cooled down to minus thirty degrees. Up to this time I had taken observations with comfort and experienced no difficulty in breathing, whilst Mr. Coxwell, in consequence of the exertions he had to make, had breathed with difficulty for some time. Having discharged sand, we ascended still higher. The aspirator became troublesome to work, and I also found a difficulty in seeing clearly. At one hour fifty-one minutes the barometer read ten point eight inches. About one hour fifty-two minutes, or later, I read the dry bulb thermometer as minus five degrees. After this, I could not see the column of mercury in the wet bulb thermometer, nor the hands of the watch, nor the fine divisions on any instrument. I asked Mr. Coxwell to help me to read the instruments. In consequence, however, of the rotary motion of the balloon, which had continued without ceasing since leaving the earth, the valve line had become entangled, and he had to leave the car and mount into the ring to readjust it. I then looked at the barometer, and found its reading to be nineteen and three-quarters inches, still decreasing fast, implying a height exceeding twenty-nine thousand feet. Shortly after, I laid my arm upon the table, possessed of its full vigor, but on being desirous of using it, I found it powerless. It must have lost its power momentarily. Trying to move the other arm, I found it powerless also. Then I tried to shake myself and succeeded, but I seemed to have no limbs. In looking at the barometer, my head fell over my left shoulder. I struggled and shook my body again, but could not move my arms. Getting my head upright for an instant only, it fell on my right shoulder. Then I fell backwards, my back resting against the side of the car and my head on its edge. In this position my eyes were directed to Mr. Coxwell in the ring. When I shook my body I seemed to have full power over the muscles of the back, and considerably so over those of the neck but none over either my arms or my legs. As in the case of the arms, so all muscular power was lost in an instant from my back and neck. I dimly saw Mr. Coxwell and endeavored to speak, but could not. In an instant, intense darkness overcame me, so that the optic nerve lost power suddenly but I was still conscious, with as active a brain as at the present moment whilst writing this. I thought I had been seized with asphyxia, and believed I should experience nothing more, as death would come unless we speedily descended. Other thoughts were entering my mind when I suddenly became unconscious, as on going to sleep. I cannot tell anything of the sense of hearing as no sound reaches the air to break the perfect stillness and silence of the regions between six and seven miles above the earth. My last observation was made at one hour, 
54 minutes, above 29,000 feet. I suppose two or three minutes to have elapsed between my eyes becoming insensible to seeing fine divisions and one hour and fifty-four minutes, and then two or three minutes more to have passed till I was insensible, which I think, therefore, took place about one hour fifty-six minutes or fifty-seven minutes. Whilst powerless, I heard the words, Temperature an observation, and I knew Mr. Coxwell was in the car, speaking to and endeavouring to rouse me. Therefore, consciousness and hearing had returned. I then heard him speak more emphatically, but could not see, speak, or move. I heard him again say, Do try, now do! Then the instruments became dimly visible. Then Mr. Coxwell, and very shortly I, saw clearly. Next I arose in my seat and looked around as though waking from sleep, though not refreshed, and said to Mr. Coxwell, I have been insensible. He said, You have, and I too very nearly, I then drew up my legs, which had been extended, and took a pencil in my hand to begin observations. Mr. Coxwell told me that he had lost the use of his hands, which were black, and I poured brandy over them. I resumed my observations at two hours seven minutes, recording the barometer reading at 11.53 inches, and temperature minus two degrees. It is probable that three or four minutes passed from the time of my hearing the words temperature and observation till I began to observe. If so, returning consciousness came at two hours four minutes p.m., and this gives seven minutes for total insensibility. I found the water in the vessel supplying the wet bulb thermometer one solid mass of ice, though I had, by frequent disturbances, kept it from freezing. It did not all melt until we had been on the ground some time. Mr. Coxwell told me that while in the ring he felt it piercingly cold, that hoarfrost was all around the neck of the balloon, and that on attempting to leave the ring he found his hands frozen. He had, therefore, to place his arms on the ring and drop down. When he saw me he thought for a moment that I had lain back to rest myself, and he spoke to me without eliciting a reply. He then noticed that my legs projected and my arms hung down by my side, and saw that my countenance was serene and placid without the earnestness and anxiety he had observed before going into the ring. Then it struck him that I was insensible. He wished to approach me, but could not, and when he felt insensibility coming over him, too, he became anxious to open the valve. But in consequence of having lost the use of his hands, he could not do this. 
ultimately he succeeded by seizing the cord with his teeth and dipping his head two or three times until the balloon took a decided turn downward no inconvenience followed my insensibility and when we dropped it was in a country where no conveyance of any kind could be obtained so i had to walk between seven and eight miles during the descent which was at first very rapid the wind was easterly to check the rapidity of the descent sand was thrown out at two hours and thirty minutes the wet bulb seemed to be free from ice at this time but i held the bulb between my thumb and finger for the purpose of melting any ice remaining on it or the connecting thread the readings after this appeared correct the final descent took place in the centre of a large grass field belonging to mr kersall at cold weston seven miles and a half from ludlow i have already said that my last observation was made at a height of twenty nine thousand feet at this time one hour fifty four minutes we were ascending at the rate of one thousand feet per minute and when i resumed observations we were descending at a rate of two thousand feet per minute these two positions must be connected taking into account the interval of time between viz thirteen minutes and on these considerations the balloon must have attained the altitude of thirty six thousand or thirty seven thousand feet again a very delicate minimum thermometer read minus eleven point nine degrees and this would give a height of thirty seven thousand feet mr coxwell on coming from the ring noticed that the centre of the aneroid barometer its blue hand and a rope attached to the car were all in the same straight line and this gave a reading of seven inches and leads to the same result therefore these independent means all lead to about the same elevation viz fully seven miles in this ascent six pigeons were taken up one was thrown out at the height of three miles when it extended its wings and dropped like a piece of paper the second at four miles flew vigorously round and round apparently taking a dip each time the third was thrown out between four and five miles and it fell downwards as a stone a fourth was thrown out at four miles on descending it flew in a circle and shortly alighted on top of the balloon the two remaining pigeons were brought down to the ground one was found to be dead and the other a carrier was still living but would not leave the hand when i attempted to throw it off till after a quarter of an hour it began to peck at a piece of ribbon with which its neck was encircled it was then jerked off the finger and shortly afterwards 
flew with some vigor towards Wolverhampton. One of the pigeons returned to Wolverhampton on Sunday the 7th, and it was the only one I ever heard of. In this ascent, on passing out of the clouds, there was an increase of nine degrees, and then there was no interruption in the decrease of temperature till the height of fifteen thousand feet was reached, when a warm current of air was entered, which continued to twenty-four thousand feet, after which the regular decrease of temperature continued to the highest point reached. On descending, the same current was again met with between twenty two thousand and twenty three thousand feet a similar interruption but to a greater amount was experienced till the balloon had descended to about the same height in which it was reached on ascending after this no further break occurred in the regular increase of temperature the sky being clear till the descent was completed from the general agreement of the results as observed by Regnault's hygrometer and those of the dew point as found by the dry and wet bulb thermometers, there can be no doubt that the temperature of the dew point, at heights exceeding 30,000 feet, must have been as low as minus 50 degrees below the zero of Fahrenheit's scale, or 82 degrees below the freezing point of water implying that the air was very dry. End of Travels in the Air, Chapter 3, Ascents from Wolverhampton, September 5, 1862, by James Glacier.